Mana 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 this is social disgusting welcome to social disgusting a podcast where my guests and i discuss our lives amidst the wanton hellscape in which we find ourselves i am brandon aka brandon i hope you're well my guest is a comedy writer improviser podcaster and former amateur wrestler host the great show so you did a thing where he interviews good people about the good thing they did please welcome zed cutsinger welcome thank you uh that, i feel like that's the the most introduction I've ever had. <laughs> yeah. A lot okay, of that's good. That's a good start. Gotta, gotta get all your bona fides in there, or bona fides, however you pronounce that. Yeah, I, would, I wouldn't say amateur wrestler, though. I would say varsity wrestler. That's the, the word I would use. <laughs> that's pretty... I think that's legit. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, amateur feels like it undermines that a little bit. Uh, so, you, so you were varsity, so you were through high school then? Yeah, I wrestled uh, all four years in high school. I... I wrestled varsity in all four years. Um, there were some years, maybe freshmen, where there was a little more competition, and I didn't wrestle varsity the entire year. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I was varsity as a team captain, wow. as a senior. Uh, I was varsity, but I definitely have never been professional. I've never made a income off of wrestling. So okay, yeah, amateur enough. is also <laughs> correct. <laughs> it's it's. Uh... Technically accurate, but misleading in, in that it, it doesn't give you the, the credit you deserve because that almost makes it sound like amateur. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Junior high. No, it was varsity. It was legitimate in high school. So yeah, that's fair. Um, question about wrestling, actually, now that I think about it, and maybe this is not even an accurate question, but is wrestling more strength or leverage or the leverage that strength enables you to get more? Does that make sense? Yeah, it's. It's interesting because I, I think if you watched wrestling without uh, the knowledge or like the practice of having done it, there's a lot of strength. But the more you get into it, you realize technique is just such a big part of it. And also, in addition to you know having the, the endurance, which is a big part of it, because you can be strong, but can you stay strong for the entire six minutes or... Uh, you know, like high school six minutes. I think colleges it's and uh, Olympics are a different amount of time. Mm-hmm. They have different rules, but that's like the biggest thing is the endurance of not gassing out. Uh, because, not to get too into the weeds of, of the rules, but there are points. Uh, whoever has the most points at the end wins. But if someone gets pinned, it's just over. So you could be dominating your opponent, and in the last five seconds, if they pin you because you're just completely out of gas, you lose. Okay, that makes sense. But there's also just the whole, uh, in addition to having like the mental capacity of knowing what you need to do technique-wise, it's a matter of just doing the same thing over and over and over, so you can just do the like the cleanest, you know, double leg takedown or, you know, get your arm bar in without thinking about it, and just doing all these things as as clean and fast as possible. Uh, it is it does take a lot of work, but as my coach in high school said he didn't say practice makes perfect he he would always say practice makes permanent so it's important that you practice correctly not just practice <laughs> i like that yeah as far as like those kind of those kind of aphorisms go i like that that's a good one yeah well the other thing i was going to say when you're talking about amateur i don't know if you've ever had this reaction but i remember watching the news as a kid i, I don't watch uh, the news now because i think like most people i don't have access to uh, cable 
because I watch everything via streaming. But when I used to watch news, sometimes they would have a report and there would be a photograph and it would say amateur photographer. And that <laughs> yeah. always made me feel bad because in a literal sense, am- I mean, amateur both means not professional. It's the antonym of professional, but it also has a connotation of someone who's not skilled. Like you're yeah. like, oh, this guy's an amateur. So whenever it says amateur photo- photographer, it would always like bum me out where I'm like, okay, maybe they're good. I don't, I don't know. Like I, I, it made me <laughs> like feel it's an bad indictment. Yeah. Yeah. It felt, <laughs> felt like a knock on them or something, but uh, yeah, I think they just meant strictly it was not a professional photographer. <laughs> yeah. It's like <laughs> if one of my photos got on there and they said amateur photographer, I'd be like, I would get defensive. I'd be like, well, I followed the rule of thirds. I mean, what else do you want from me? <laughs> I mean, it was a scene of a crime and somebody got murdered. What do you want from me at this point? Like, yeah, it did. It, I would take that as like an indictment on my being, and I would have to deal with that and probably talk to my therapist. Like, I don't know, that was okay. Or they could just have your name. They don't even have to include that you're an amateur <laughs> photographer. Just have the photograph. No one is like looking at the picture on the news and being like, hmm, this doesn't look like it was taken by a professional. Then it says, they're like, oh, it's an amateur. Okay, now this news story makes sense. Like, I don't even understand why they have to mention that. That is fair. It's also just like, now that I think about it, if I were in that position, I would get to the point where I'm like, well, you fuckers wanted it, didn't you? I don't know why you're getting into my perceived judgment call on it. And also, it's good enough to put on the air, isn't it? Enjoy. Yeah, Yeah, I would have a vendetta against the TV. Yeah, I would not take that well. Now, the more I think about that, I don't think so. Might as well just say media, like mediocre, or sorry, mediocre <laughs> photographer. It's just like, why do you have to have like a value judgment of me as as the person who took this picture? Just let the picture speak for itself. Isn't that a phrase? Let the art. I don't know. <laughs> I like that. I'm I'm genuinely getting annoyed at the just the idea that somebody would say that about me in a thing that's never going to happen. But now in a weird, in a weird like masochistic way, I'm like, maybe I will get a photograph on there. And then they'll call me an amateur and then I'll have to deal with that. Yeah. Hang out at the scene of the crime, Brandon. <laughs> the lowest stake uh, Nightcrawler ever at this point. The version of Nightcrawler that nobody would ever want to watch. This is the guy <laughs> bitter about the perception of something that might not ever happen. Yeah, I would watch that. <laughs> I, honestly, I would too. Is there a movie that accurately represents the wrestler experience? Maybe like win-win or something? Yeah, so there, okay, so there was a movie that we all watched uh, called Vision Quest, and this is not a particularly good movie. Yeah, uh, it stars uh, is it Matthew Modine? Uh, I, I think, but it's and not. It's Lyndon not a, Fiorentino, right? Yeah, it's not a particularly good movie, but it was the only one. And then, yeah, more recently, there was uh, Win Win with Paul Giamatti, right? And mm-hmm. uh, with the other guy, I can't remember his name. Uh, but that one was, I thought that was on the better side. And then a few years ago, maybe a couple of years ago, there was this movie just called, I think, Wrestler or Wrestle. And it's a documentary about high school wrestling. Mm-hmm. And I understand why it's not popular because most people don't care about high school wrestling. But I thought that was the best I've, I've seen. And it's relatively uh, obscure. But it, from what I recall... Uh, I'd have to look at my notes. It's kind of like a Hoop Dreams uh, style documentary where it's just the footage of these people doing it. And it's kind of shot, I believe, over only one season rather than all four years like Hoop Dreams. But Mm -hmm. it's just a really, really well-made documentary 
uh, my favorite style of documentary, which is the type that's like shot in the present rather than kind of talking about something from the past. Yeah, I like those too. That sounds interesting. I got to watch that. Um, <laughs> funny thing is that when I was thinking about wrestling movies, the first one that came to mind, because I watched it like, rewatched it maybe like four or five months ago, was Foxcatcher. Oh, yeah. that's an, uh, I love that movie. I do I too. I love that movie, yeah. I love that movie. It the, After I watched that too, I was like, Bennett Miller, man, I think he's three for three or four for four, really, with a documentary that I think Cruising, I guess it is, The Cruise. That he did, like he's very very talented. And then I was like, "Is he gonna ever make another movie?" And then I looked, and he's doing the Christmas Carol. And I just what? kind of yeah, he's doing Christmas Carol, and I just sighed loudly to myself when I saw that because I'm like, yeah, uh, like it could be a classic, and it could be the greatest movie ever made, you know, TBD. But in that moment, I was just thinking. I admittedly thought, "Why is he wasting his time on that?" Wait, uh, so Ben Miller, did he also direct Moneyball? He did Moneyball, um, Moneyball, Foxcatcher, Capote, Capote, and the documentary The Cruise. Okay, well, the I, I tried to kind of figure out, because uh, I, I also love Moneyball, like Foxcatcher is like one of, one of my favorite movies. I was like trying to figure out the thread between the two, and it seems in both, uh, again, I, I should consult my notes, but there's kind of like a, uh, at least with Foxcatcher, kind of like a, a real grim outlook on things. Mm-hmm. And I, I guess, yeah, with Capote in mind, where I'm like, maybe this Christmas Carol movie, maybe this will be pretty dark. <laughs> I Honestly, I hope so. I really do hope that he puts his stamp on it at this point. That's what I'm, that's what I'm looking for. Um, well, I think what Foxcatcher does, unlike those uh, other movies, because uh, uh, Foxcatcher is like post-high school, it's about someone trying to be like a professional uh, wrestler is it kind of shows the, the lack of respect um, collegiate wrestling gets, or I guess like freestyle or, or Greco Roman or, or any of these different uh, variants. And in that one with the Channing Tatum character, you know, you have a guy who is a, I believe he has an Olympic gold and it's just he, the way that he has to eat in the beginning. You're like, yeah. man, this is rough. <laughs> It's an intense movie, and it really does, and very effectively, at least for me, like puts you in a mood. You know, the more I watched it too, the more I was reminded. I'm not even it didn't inform me. I guess it was more that I was reminded that Tatum and Ruffalo are incredible in that movie. I think Ruffalo especially. Yeah, there's a physicality to him in that movie where uh, Ruffalo is, you know, obviously great in, in everything that I've seen, but when he and Chang Tatum are just going through drills with each other they have this like physicality where it almost reminds me of just like lion cubs like when they're playing with each other they kind of have this familiarity with with each other and I, I the way that he moves uh, Ruffalo in this movie I know that wrestler and I've seen that type of wrestler he captured it in a way where I think unfortunately most people who see this movie just wouldn't be able to appreciate that level of, of his performance, but he is absolutely incredible uh, in this film. And it might be like my favorite performance of him. Like he just transformed in a level that I've. Um... And we're back due to an unforced error of an intermission. Thankful to Comcast for their always consistent internet. 
much appreciated. But yeah, as as we just talked about, just going to go that Foxcatcher, please continue your point about that. Oh, final thought was just that uh, Mark Ruffalo in it, he did like a physical transformation that I'm I'm not used to seeing him do in his performances. So mm. even uh, as great as he always is, this film is particularly uh, a outlier and in a special way in his like I guess career. No, I agree. Outside of maybe that Derek C in France show from HBO from like last year, where he played twins, um, that's the only thing I can think of off the top of my head about where he did more of the physical side outside of like you know voice and 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 mentality. I suppose uh, incredible actor. I guess except for when he becomes the Hulk, that's a pretty <laughs> drastic physical transformation. <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of um, big green body acting in that movie, I would say. Yeah. You know, some actors can do mustache acting, some can do hair acting, but he was a big bulb of screen guy actor, and that's pretty impressive. Respect. <laughs> Martin Ruffalo, talented actor. Is that is that a thing? Is that a first-time thought nobody's ever had before? That guy's really good. Yeah, I think people usually just kind of relegate him as like a supporting position, and people don't really ever talk about it how good he is as an actor. Like people talk about how attractive he is, but yeah, I've actually never heard anybody talk about his actual uh, acting technique. So I think this is the first time it's been said. Yeah. I'm really excited to, that people magazine will, I'll sell this as an exclusive along with my amateur photography yeah. of, a, <laughs> of a photo of my router, not working. That'll be my amateur photo <laughs> and me clearly somehow seething in the background. Um, well, this is as good a time as any to backtrack a little bit and to the unfair question of both Zed, how are you and how have you been doing? I'm good. I kind of lucked out where, and I guess this answers how have I been doing on March 7th, March 8th, I got married and that was like, you know, a week or two before everything shut down. Uh, sorry, I got mar- married of 2020, uh, March mm-hmm. 8th. And so for the past two years, I've been yeah w- with my wife. And I kind of think that has a big part to do with the stability of my happiness. <laughs> and yeah. also, uh, the place that I work at, at a restaurant in Echo Park, we have not closed. So I kind of had like, uh, a more rigid schedule where I was still going into work and I just have not stopped doing what I was doing. Uh, yeah, we did focus more on takeout, you know, during one period, but I was still going into work. So not much has like, I guess, changed for me uh, mentally or, you know, in many ways, obviously the world around has changed and I know people's lives are affected for a multitude of reasons, but I think in terms of my well-being, I've kind of just been on a plateau since I got married. Oh, actually, I shouldn't say plateau. It's gone up. I've become more happy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're like, you know, I've, I've really been on a downswing lately. Please don't tell her. But, you know, it's just been really tough. Yeah, I, but that's that's amazing, though, to be able to, to really have that consistency, that kind of you know, routine can be a real double-edged sword, but in all of this, that is, to me, it's it's kind of paramount to my mental health to have something to, to grapple onto like that. 
Yeah, and you know there are certain hobbies that I was getting more into uh, around March eighth, twenty twenty, and then you know there's a stigma around them, which is staying inside and, and watching movies. But when no one is supposed to be going out, it's like, oh, like this is a good hobby to have. So it almost like <laughs> fortified yeah. the thing that I was doing and made me feel less bad about doing it. <laughs> Yeah, it definitely made me less shameful of the volume of movies that I watch. Because a part of me is like, you know, even at a small level, it's like, no, I need this right now. Even though, you know, it was something I probably would have done anyway. But I definitely lean into it more. And it's it's been a godsend because, you know, I'm glad I have that, to, that it's a readily, easily available thing. And I can throw on a movie and just kind of, you know, get into it, zone out, do whatever. And it's great. I love it. Yeah, and doing that and not going out, there was like a period where it was like, oh, like morally I'm doing the right thing by sitting on my couch and watching this and not (laughs) exposing others or exposing myself and all this kind of stuff. So it was like, I don't know, if if Clark Kent took off his glasses and then he put on some 3D glasses and watched Avatar at home or something, I don't know. (laughs) That's like a real (laughs) Superman. (laughs) I would... Honestly, I would watch that sooner probably than I'd watch. As much as I'm admittedly tired of most superhero movies, I would probably watch that before I'd watch my half-assed amateur Nightcrawler movie. So <laughs> that's that's probably fair. What was the first movie? Well, what was the last movie you saw before all of this and the first one you saw during it? In the theater, I mean. Before, uh, like... Before, I guess, the pandemic became down. real. Yeah, I think it was either in was it invisible man or the gentleman um okay. i actually have to look that up i can look at my uh, diary but i think it might have been the gentleman the um what's his name the guy richie guy richie yeah i think it was that... just i think a couple weeks ago popped up on uh, netflix i think yeah it was not a good one i'll, I'll say that because it was it would have been the first week of March, which, or the end of February, which is kind of like a not good time period, uh, for, for movies normally. Yeah. Uh, and it seems like then in March, there's usually like one or one really good movie. And then it kind of just like slowly, uh, leaks out like in terms of the goodness, but let's see, I'm going to, I'm going to get you the exact uh, movie. Do, do you remember which it was for you? You know, for a while I thought it was cats that was the last one that I saw in the theater. And and it was like the kind of the, the lamentation of like, oh, cats, because I saw it as a joke. And then within five to ten minutes, I turned to my friend and like, what did we do? <laughs> and, and and it was just like the, we kind of got caught up into like the funniness of it, of, of what if we saw cats? And then we did and we were like, this is, a, this is a terrible idea. But I realized, oh, no, the movie, I, the last movie I saw in the theater before it all was... Uh, Gretel and Hansel, which I just saw with a friend. Oh, okay. And uh, it's a very interesting movie visually, I'll say that. It's, you know, very stylized, but, uh, you know, it's not necessarily, you know, if I knew then what I know now, I would have gone to see something else. Yeah, I would, I think I would have too. Yeah, it was February 28th, and it was Invisible Man, The Invisible Man, the the new movie, and then... um, Maybe there was something that was released the next Friday, but that's when I had my wedding, so I missed that, and then I couldn't see anything 
for a long uh, period of time. But I'd say it could have been the that the last one before the cutoff could have like Sonic, the Hedgehog, or maybe the Affleck basketball movie, something like that. Could have been about there. I feel like they were just on that edge, maybe. Yeah. Oh, this is also kind of funny. I watched uh, February 14th, like two weeks prior, I watched Foxcatcher. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, nice. Just to kind of make make that uh, come back. Uh, I do not see when I saw Nightcrawler, though. Sorry. To, to kind of okay, pull everything together, I, I can't uh, find the date on that. And then you well, asked that's me... Di- that's disappointing, but you know. I know. Sorry. Fun. Well, you'll <laughs> the longer you know, you know me, the you'll start noticing that there's a thread of disappointments. That's kind of the recurring theme. And then you said, you said, what was the last one I watched? And then what was the first? What, what was the first? What was your return to the theater movie, if you remember? I think it was Fast Nine. Ooh, that's nice. But it, that might have just been like the first really big one. But I do remember seeing that in theaters and kind of being like, oh, things are back. But I do think there was like a movie before then. Hmm. See, I think mine was The Green Knight. Oh, okay. Okay. Because I, I had a run, and that kind of like maybe it was like April, or March, April, May, something like that last year, and then went to some movies, and and honestly, the outside of mm, relatively recently, everything, everywhere, all at once. Previous to that, the last movie I saw in the theater because I was just like hunkered down, maybe even too much in retrospect, but I didn't know that at the time. But uh, old was the one. Oh previous yeah. to that. I saw that I saw, too. <laughs> I might be I don't going know what to, to think the of that movie. Old, <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I don't think anybody knows what to think about that that movie. Uh, I I know before we recorded, we were talking about reassessing movies later, mm-hmm. and how weird would it be in like five or ten or maybe twenty years that people are like, old was you know Shyamalan's best film, and people didn't appreciate it when it came out, but it does feel kind of like a punchline or like I guess like a meme movie, where yeah. it's easier to kind of laugh about it than to talk about why it was good <laughs> look i saw some film twitter people and this is not a criticism it's just an observation where they it was in their top 10 of last year type stuff which fair enough but it didn't make me think like what did i miss because to me it was like yeah it was entertaining and that's fine but uh, i i feel like i missed a larger point that i don't know whether i did or not but maybe you know i guess it doesn't really matter I think what happens with some people who maybe watch too many movies is they really get into the, like the auteur director aspect and their kind of way of evaluating a movie is how distinct is this film like from start to finish in the sense of it being a film of M. Night Shyamalan. So the mm-hmm. more the movie is different and kind of stands out, with characteristics would that would only be done in an M Night Shyamalan movie. I think for some people the, that's all seen as positives. So in terms of the metric of what makes a movie good or or bad, I think in the case with old, they're they're kind of looking past those things where you're like, oh, the dialogue is you know wooden, you know blah blah blah, and they're like, oh, the dialogue instead of looking at it as being good or bad or wooden, they're like, this is stylistically this is so M Night Shyamalan, and then it kind of raises the the bar of their evaluation of the movie, if that yeah. makes sense, which yeah. I think that's one way of, I think that is one aspect of looking at movies, but I think for some people that is like the way of evaluating movies. So I think that's not to kind of like sum up someone maybe un, 
uh, fairly and they're going to tell me I'm wrong. Uh, but that would be my kind of analysis of why someone thought that movie was a top 10 film of the year. <laughs> and fair enough. I was definitely watching it through the prism of a movie and not through the prism as much as I maybe could have of an M. Night Shyamalan movie and all of that comes with it. I think a part of me does think that maybe, you know, he was lambasted and uh, underestimated now that in, in retrospect for years. And rightfully so. I don't think the happening, it's not my favorite movie, to be quite honest. Lady in the Water, not my favorite movie. But so maybe part of that too is like, you know, it, it's awesome to see the trajectory of his career and how he bet on himself with the visitors or, or the visit maybe and has been able to like play with that money and keep going which i completely respect so you know it, it's i'm not rooting against him but just as that movie when i saw it i was just like yeah it's, yeah it was fine i liked it yeah I, I, it's so funny because I, I know you mentioned the the happening to me that i like loved that, that movie i watched it for the first time more recently it's really? just so baffling like you're watching it and the choices are just so unpredictable in a way that it's just I don't understand what is happening in a lot of ways and to me that there's something like exciting about that old was it just felt very like logical in a lot of ways that it there wasn't that surprise factor and also the build-up to the twist was just so stupid uh, that it was a little uninspiring by his measure or by, by his standards to me. You know, it was, you know, not to be like dismissive, but it was a little bit of a lesser Shyamalan to me in that regard. Yeah. And I think also the the whole like twist thing, like I, I don't know the last time you saw The Sixth Sense, but I think The Sixth, the sixth Sense is a much richer movie when you know what the twist is mm-hmm. and the surprise factor actually i think diminishes uh the movie because it almost feels more like a gimmick but when you rewatch the sixth sense and you know what is happening and you know spoiler alert uh, bruce willis is dead all those scenes with him and his wife instead of just being like weird where you're like oh are they in an argument there's like a sadness of her like longing for him and him kind of being there and knowing that he's not aware of what's happening it really adds all this emotional kind of a a whole emotional element to the film that wouldn't be there if you didn't know what was happening. Mm-hmm. I'm not really a big fan of twists if if you can t- tell. I, I I get it. I mean, it does feel I think to your point though about like the sixth sense, it's a rare case where a twist enhances the rewatchability as opposed to making that movie more disposable. You know, like like uh The Village to me, once you know the twist, it's over for me. For that one, you know, it really undermines a rewatchability as somebody who has rewatched it. And I'm like, yeah, you know, there there wasn't much to it outside of that. I really do think that the twist factor for M. Night Shyamalan was something that came out that happened organically with the sixth sense and then became a trap for a number of years. Yeah, just the whole and the other problem, too, is that if your whole gimmick is built around a twist, then it's like the audience is like trying to guess what it is instead of just enjoying the film and watching what's yeah. happening uh, which i don't like that feeling of you know mystery whatever like oh i need to like solve what's happening and then like oh is this a red herring and like doing all that math while you're watching a movie that's not 
really what I want to be doing. I just want to be kind of taking in what's happening and I guess appreciating or enjoying it. So that's just, I don't know. Not, so not stream five. Stream five is not on your top 10 <laughs> list then for the first half of the year. No, I don't even know if it's in my top five list of screen movies. <laughs> <laughs> Impressive. It's a, uh, eh, it wasn't bad. I, I was entertained by it. Um, Paramount Plus, thank you for that. I appreciate my ability to be able to watch that just on a weekend and not really turn my brain on. It was great for that. Um, and okay, well, now that I now that I did that, I'm about to say now that we're talking about it. Now that I did that, um, I'm curious about your. I know not necessarily top ten, but like top ten ish movies of the year thus far. Since we're about, I mean, it's almost one day removed away from June first. Get into that halfway point of the year. How do you want to do it? Do you want to do the inverted list where it's we're leading up to your your four that you love that you had mentioned before this? Yeah, I mean, I yeah. However you want to do it, we could start at ten. We could go up. Um, I do want to say there are like three movies that I think are coming out in the very near future. One of which comes out Friday, uh, Crimes of the Future, the new Cronenberg movie, which will probably be. Uh, one of my favorite movies of the year. And then there's like two Korean films, uh, South Korean films that both played at Cannes. Um, one is the new Park Chan-wook movie. And then I the other wait. one is the, it's it's funny. He's actually a Japanese director, a Karita who did like shoplifters and, you know, all these other movies um, mm-hmm. and Song Kang-ho's in, in that one. So it's like a Korean movie, but it's a Japanese director. And I, I think this might be his first Korean film. Uh, but anyways, those two movies, especially the Park Chan-wook one, which uh, I cannot wait for that movie. And hopefully I'm it'll so excited. Release. Yeah. I'm hoping I'm so the U.S. Excited. release will happen sooner than later. And if not, because I think it comes out in South Korea in June, maybe that means uh, there's going to be a version that will leak online. <laughs> I'm, I'm looking. I'm, I'm, I'll, take any, I'll take it any way I can get it. because, And I know this is not, you know, he's done all these incredible movies, but... Not that long ago, rewatching The Handmaiden, I think it's a masterpiece. I think it's incredible. That movie is uh, phenomenal, and it's actually kind of interesting because I I saw it when it first came out, and then I you know rewatched it more recently after I saw Parasite, and mm-hmm. it made me realize there's there's a lot of parallels <laughs> between those two movies. Yeah, but I think I it's, to, yeah I need to watch them more in conjunction. To your point, uh, but I, I think it's because both films are heavily influenced by a South Korean film from, I think it's from like the sixties. It's called like the handmaid or something. And there, uh, there's audio commentary for it by Bong Joon-ho. And then there's audio commentary for it by Park Chan-wook. And it kind of seems like this is uh, South Korea's like citizen Kane. It's like a movie that's, really really monumental and uh just hugely i guess influential to the the directors there so it's no uh coincidence that i think both of them did these movies that are you know about class and all this kind of stuff and you know someone coming in and infiltrating it where that's what that movie uh, is about so that i, guess I had no I, idea that's fascinating and the only reason i even know, uh, know about it is because leading up to parasite bong joon ho mentioned three movies that he would say to watch uh as like homework or influence it, it's that film 
and then it's like Les Ceremony. It's a French mm-hmm. film. And then um, The Servant, I believe is the name. It's like a, a British movie. And they're all about uh, kind of like hired help. Uh, I'm trying to think of, of the proper term. Not servants, but <laughs> like butler, you know, whatever the, this kind of. Uh, type type of thing that the, we see the upstairs downstairs factor, yeah, the the class divide of the 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 rich, the haves and the have-nots, I guess. Yeah, and also not to get too weeded on this, but I think the reason why all three of these movies are not uh, American and why movies in America aren't able to do something that's so distilled that's about class is because uh, South Korea is like ninety eight point one percent Korean. It's an mm. ethnically a homogenous uh, nation, much more so even than like I was like looking up the ratios of like Scandinavian uh, Scandinavian countries. It's actually even more so in South Korea. And so anyways, what I'm getting to is that in the United States, it's impossible to do a movie about class without talking about race. And I think yeah. in a, a, a country like South Korea, a movie like Parasite they're able to just do a movie that's purely about ec- uh, economic factors and, and class and not touch on race because their country is so ethnically homogenous. And in the United States, I think a lot of films that deal with class end up actually being hugely about race because the two are impossible to uh, separate from one another. That makes complete sense. I, I didn't realize that about um, South Korea, but that, and, and, and by extension, the effect that would have on what they're able to do or not, I guess, in some ways, not be able to do in art, movies, whatever the case may be. No, that's so interesting. Um, what, okay, curious. What is your, what's first on your list? Oh, it's so st- starting at number one. Or, no, meaning the first, um, let's do, if you're if it's cool with you, inverted. And yeah, we'll yeah, yeah. work our way up. Okay. So Which, I've, I, I should just put this out there. So, so far this year, I've seen, uh, 26 movies released this year. Um, and so, yeah, there's 16, 16 movies that didn't, didn't make this cut. And I think all these movies are worth seeing, but as we'll get into, I think with the higher ones, like those are ones that even at the end of the year are going to, to make the top 10. And I, I think five through 10 probably Mm. aren't going to be in the top 10 at the end of the year, but I think one through four are, but, uh, my number 10 is the, uh, the massive, the unbearable weight of massive talent, the okay. Nicolas Cage movie. I am obsessed uh, with Nicolas Cage. He's like my favorite actor of all time. And it's really hard for me to see a movie with him where I'm able to kind of remove <laughs> that, that bias. Uh, so I, I understand some people I've talked to maybe didn't like this as much, but if you are just like a Nicolas Cage, like a diehard fan, I mean, you've probably already seen this, this movie and I, I didn't love the movie as it kind of got more into the genre stuff, or as they say in the film, as it departs from the adult drama stuff. I didn't yeah. love that. But the way the movie starts out, where it's kind of like, uh, I dubbed it Cage Your Enthusiasm, where it's like <laughs> Curb, but like with Nicolas Cage in Los Angeles. All of that stuff, I, I absolutely loved. And then also the relationship between him and Pedro Pascal, where they just talked about movies like those two aspects of the movie i loved and if there was less of the genre stuff and it was just that i probably would have loved this movie even more i i've not seen it yet it's on my list 
it just wasn't, you know, in my unofficial or official moratorium of, of seeing movies. I just haven't ventured out to see it. I know it's still playing here, so maybe I need to do that. But I've heard predominantly good things. Um, and it's once you get over, you know, past Nicolas Cage, and he's great, because Nicolas Cage is an all-time great actor, no question about it. He's absolutely one of my favorites. But yeah, I've, I've heard Pedro Pascal is great and plays off of him very well, which I'm very curious to see. And I, I do want to see that movie. I've heard really good things for the most part. Yeah, it uh, it almost feels like the script was written by Donald Kaufman, the Charlie Kaufman twin in yeah. adaptation, <laughs> after he saw Being John Malkovich, and he's kind of like, oh, I can I can make Being John Malkovich. That's what this movie would be. <laughs> perfect. That's, that's a pretty perfect distillation. It makes me want to see it more. Um, first, uh, on the first of the things we're going to be talking about, I guess, on my list, actually... Uh, Again, I have different blind spots of things I haven't seen yet, including Top Gun Maverick, which I'll be seeing tomorrow, and I'm very excited about. Uh, but first one on the list uh, is a movie that, again, I just didn't have a ton of expectations about, and I was very pleasantly surprised, which is The Outfit. Uh, oh, yeah, with Mark Rylance, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, really, really enjoyed it. It's very much uh, kind of, in a in a way, it's like let Mark Rylance just cook do his thing <laughs> you know like it's re- as much as mark as much as mark rylance can do that you know and his very austere understated performances but it's it's a there are all of like five people six people in this movie maybe so it's very much like a stage play and it's mark rylance on screen the entire time and he's fantastic it's a i really enjoyed it it's very well made yeah, I, I have not seen this one yet, and uh, I hope to see it. And, yeah, it seems like everyone I know that saw it has positive things to say about it. So it's on my uh, to-watch list, my endless watch list that just keeps getting longer every day. <laughs> uh, yeah, same. It it just keeps getting longer and longer. But I definitely recommend the outfit. It's, it's from a screenwriter turned first-time director. I believe he... Oh, what did he do? He... Uh, he won an Oscar for screenplay a couple years ago. Let me confirm that. For I think the Imitation Game is what he won it for. Oh, okay. So it says uh, Graham Moore. Yeah, first time directing. Uh, but previous to that, screenwriter. Yeah, won it for the Imitation Game, and it's it's just well done. It's really well done, and Dylan O'Brien's in it, and that that guy. You know, he's a, he's a younger actor, but there's a reason they've tried to kind of anoint him as one of the next leading younger actors he's really got something and he's good johnny flynn is an actor who's both an actor and uh, a musician who played uh david bowie and you know uh not my favorite movie but he kind of channeled the energy really well he's really talented so either way i i recommend that movie for sure yeah johnny flynn i, I saw him in um in this movie beast with uh what's her name with Jesse Buckley, and he's also in Emma, which is yeah. like the you know Jane Austen uh, story that and you know they turned into Clueless. But yeah, he's a, he's a really good actor. Uh, and I actually when I found out he was doing David Bowie, whenever they were doing the movie, I was like, ugh. But then I saw it was him, and I was like, oh, that's actually a good choice. Uh, not I guess not enough for me to end up seeing the movie, but yeah, he's he's really good. And oh, man, I really got to see uh, the outfit. 
it's it's worth it for sure. And uh, and to your point, just I will say real, as a brief aside, I think Jesse Buckley is is climbing the ladder of all time great actor. I really do. I think she's unbelievable. So Beast is a great movie. I really really enjoyed that movie. Yeah, she's like this. I mean, as we saw with. The, uh, you know, speaking of Charlie Kaufman, the the movie that he did with her, she, and uh, now with uh, men, get, give her a script where it's just like nothing really makes sense. Is it a dream? Is it reality? You know, whatever this kind of mm. world, and she will make it make sense with her performance. Truly, that's a great point. Uh, what's next on your list? Uh, X, the uh, horror movie that was released this year, which, you know, I, I wouldn't say this movie was like in terms of the horror genre, something that stands out particularly, but it is just really well done. And this movie, seeing it in a theater, it really just reminded me of kind of the theatrical experience of people like groaning and, you know, these parts where it's like the build up to the thing that like, you know, don't go into that room because we know what's going to happen. It really felt like a communal experience. And I think the movie just really lends itself to just kind of getting invested and, really caring about the characters but i think part of that has to do with how good the uh ensemble was even to the point where one of the actors is uh uh that the musician kid cuddy and i didn't even realize it was him (laughs) till after i saw it and he was just so good yeah i I just i just really like this film and this is one that i mean if possible see it in a theater but you know i i know that's not always possible for people um yeah did you did you end up seeing that one i did see that one i really liked it a lot and to your point i think it's easily the best uh you know scott miscuddy kid cuddy performance i've seen he i i don't know whether it was the role whether he's just grown more as an actor whether it was ty west t west who got that out of him but he was fantastic in that he's really just so natural yeah, I was actually surprised because I think the only other movie I've seen him in was the uh, Bill and Ted, the third movie. And yeah, I mean, he's not bad in it, but, you know, it's not really a movie that lends itself to kind of more realistic performances, I want to say. And in this film, he really fell into the role where I was just like, who is this actor? Like, I, I didn't even think that, oh, this is a, a musician that they just like filled in uh, the role with it. Yeah, it's... I mean, this is just like, you know, a great movie that if even if you're at home and you watch it with one person, turn off the lights and just kind of fall into it and just be prepared to be scared. Truly. And uh, and uncomfortable. Dear God. Yeah. But and also wait for the the trailer after the credits or in that area, because I'm fascinated about what that's going to be. And that should be out. It could be soon, actually, in the next uh handful of months the the prequel to it which i'm very excited for yeah i like couldn't believe that i yeah stayed after the credits uh, and i was like what the okay yeah i'll watch that too <laughs> <laughs> i'm all in on that i'm so excited uh next on my list again plenty of things i need to see but uh i was pretty delighted by it ambulance michael bay's movie pretty you know you know it's not the best movie by any means but it felt like a little bit of a return to form for michael bay and he also discovered drones, which I was like, oh, man. And he used them even inside, down hallways and in parking lots. And I was pretty delighted by it. Uh, big fan. Really enjoyed it. And I watched it with my dad. And 
he was just like, how do they, how do they think this stuff up? He was marveling <laughs> at it. You know, he was just like, how, how did they, you know, he loved it. Absolutely loved it. I enjoyed it. It was a fun ride. Yeah, that's my, that's my pick. Yeah, I saw someone on Twitter, they described it as like a film that was shot by drones that were on cocaine. <laughs> Fair. Yeah. And I was like, oh, yeah. Yeah, all the camera stuff uh, in this movie, like I know Michael Bay has such a, a style uh, with the cameras, you know, like spinning around people and all this stuff. But it really does feel like as a director, he's pushing himself and trying to utilize new technology in a way that I'm kind of curious what's going to happen after this movie because I could definitely see other directors kind of trying to recreate what he did w with the camera specifically uh, drones that which I've, I have not seen a movie go as overboard as this with the way that they utilize them he boy he had a drone budget in that movie to the point where <laughs> I it was a lot you know to the point where I heard it so then you think they're gonna be like every so often a drone shot but he my man used drones dear god and i was pretty delighted by it just because it's just like it's so like operatic and over the top in such a michael bay way but i think to your point it's gonna start it's, it's gonna start a little bit of a trend and we're gonna realize how just how gifted he is at what he does and how it's probably easy to also do those shots but not do them in a way that maybe although distracting sometimes still kind of works within the framework of what he's doing I don't know. I I think he's very talented as much as uh, I could give two shits about any of the Transformer movie, to be honest. And I'm <laughs> kind of glad. I'm glad he's back, at least for now. Yeah, Bay is back. Uh, <laughs> and also, I do think the, the trio of the the actors that are, you know, stuck in the ambulance together, they're all so good that it, even as, like, you know, we're talking about all this, like, wild, crazy stuff going on with the cameras, there's, like, an interpersonal drama going on that we're able to get invested in because of, uh, I guess it speaks to their performances. Yeah, I think great call. What do you got next? Uh, my number eight, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of, of Madness. This was like a film that I've been excited for for a bit just because of Sam Raimi. And I think maybe I was hyper aware while I was watching it because of Spider-Man No Way Home. Uh, you know, I, I liked it okay, but the movie to me was just so bland in terms of there's nothing about the movie that stood out in any way where it's like you could get a hundred people that can make spider-man no way home and nothing about it would like stand out or just dis be distinguished from somebody else uh you know as, as we saw on twitter later on people were kind of just like pointing out shots in the movie and just like it just lacks i think the human aspect of filmmaking mm -hmm. and this movie as I was watching it, I guess just being aware of that the entire time I was like, Oh, Sam Raimi directed this movie. And <laughs> I just really appreciated that. Also, uh, someone who grew up reading comic books, Dr. Strange is like a more esoteric character in the sense that, you know, I don't know about you, but I've never seen a child dress up as Dr. Strange for Halloween. He's no. kind of like a character that, you know, people who love Norrin Rad, mm -hmm. Silver Surfer, they gravitate towards him. People that are into more of the like fringe Marvel stuff. So there isn't really a world in which a Doctor Strange movie is going to hit in the same way a Spider Man movie or like a Captain America, you know, type of movie will. And I think they were able to lean into that weirdness and it really uh, kind of climaxes with the note fight, 
where I was like, yeah, this is the type of scene that wouldn't happen in any other movie with any other character. And I think that's why this film worked for me on such a high level. I think we definitely just as film goers benefited from Marvel being in kind of a bind of Scott Derrickson, not, you know, not leaving the project in the 25th hour, but definitely being to where they need somebody to take over quickly. And I think that Raimi was probably able to have more authorship and maybe sneak some stuff in there that otherwise would not have made it through the, the Marvel machine. And I think it's all the better for it by a long stretch. Because, you know, the more Raimi, pretty much, the better, as far as I'm concerned. I Cause agree. Because, like, dra- <laughs> like, Drag Me to Hell is so goddamn delightful. And, I mean, all of his movies are, to be quite honest. not Maybe not, you know, Oz the Great and Powerful, but he's a delight. I love him. I, I think it's so fun. And, yeah, I'm glad that movie exists, you know, in, in the Marvel Universe, I suppose, but just in general. Because I enjoyed it quite a bit. Agreed. More than I anticipated, to be quite honest. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a great call. Um, let's see. I've got, you know, I know I'm picking like bigger ones, but it's, you know, it's still only half a year. But honestly, uh, I really enjoyed the Batman. I really did. Um, probably not a, maybe not a popular pick. I don't really know. It's hard to gauge based on Twitter where anybody stands on that one. But... <laughs> Uh, I think that, uh, I think the exhilaration and how much I enjoyed the first two acts are pretty roundly undermined by the third act for me, but I still remember those first two and that went a long way. And I enjoyed the, uh, I enjoyed the, what how Gotham was. I enjoyed what they did with that and how they kind of built Gotham in a way that was like, what if Tim Burton did the today's world weary uh, Gotham, I suppose. So it kind of had a mixture of the two things that I enjoyed. I like Pattinson a lot. I thought the supporting cast was pretty great. Yeah, it really did it for me. The Batman. Enjoyed it. I think in retrospect, we're realizing, you know, I, I know we keep talking about like reassessing older movies, but I feel like now we have a better understanding of Tim Burton with his Batman movies and how he was able to make Gotham uh, a city that could not be any other city like when you're watching batman uh you know one and two those movies are it's like this is tim burton's gotham but this is also batman's gotham and you know as much as you know we like the christopher nolan batman movies gotham doesn't really stand out in any kind of way it just to me when i'm watching it it just looks like chicago and i think this movie was able to kind of remind us that gotham isn't just another u.s city gotham is like Gotham this is like one of the most unique cities in like I guess fiction history (laughs) like yeah and I think they did a good job of trying to not just make it feel like another metropolitan city or I guess not another metropolis city (laughs) yeah I agree and it's uh even just seeing like Gotham Square Park Gotham Square Garden I'm like okay even that little detail I'm in that's great I was delighted by it also there's a, a making of on HBO Max all about the use of LED screens. That if you've not seen it, it's like three minutes long. It's amazing. Of how they used all these LED screens to create backgrounds. And how they did it to make the chase sequence between Batman and the Penguin. And it's extraordinary. It's really... As much as I wish everything was practical. If you're going to do it, you know, do it well. 
and they really did it well in such a fascinating way. Highly recommend watching that. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed it. Uh, what, what do you got on your list? Oh, yeah, so uh, my next one is Clay Tatum and Whitmer Thomas's The Civil Dead. Uh, yes. This is a movie which I don't know if it's available to watch online yet. I don't know if they're trying to figure out some type of uh, distribution, but it, it had like a small showing in L.A., and then it was a part of the uh, Slam Dance Film Festival, I, I believe. Uh, this movie, I just I really, really liked it because it's a comedy that's done in such a specific way and through the voice and comedic stylings of these two uh, filmmakers and like obviously there's all this other stuff going on you know about friendship and you know the hopes and aspirations of moving to LA you know you can get into all that stuff but on a most base level just scenes where nothing's happening and it's just like two characters just talking whatever that resting state is like kind of just the average the center moment of the movie I could just sit in that for forever so i really really like this movie and i was i was surprised how as a feature i believe it's their uh, debut feature they were able to kind of already figure stuff out that i think some directors it takes them like multiple movies to find i agree i saw that uh virtually via slam dance actually it's great i was blown away by it i absolutely loved it uh and i think to your point about the streaming aspect i feel like I saw Clay post about it on Twitter saying it'll be out next year on streaming. Oh, cool. I'm pretty, awesome. pretty certain about that. I think it was maybe a handful of months ago. He said that pretty certain that they got it and winning the audience award at Slam Dance, I think, helped, you know, buoy that possibility. So I'm, pr- I'm pretty confident that's what he said. Um, yeah, great pick. That's, that's on my uh, honorable mentions list, that movie. I love that movie. It was great. Uh, I got one that, not from Slam Dance, but from Played Sundance, which I did virtually as well, but I also did South by Southwest virtually as I was cooped up in my house, frightened of COVID. But uh, it's a documentary called Fire of Love. And it uh, it sold recently, and it's going to get a theater uh, run, I believe in November. It was produced by National Geographic. It's about two French volcanologists who were primarily active in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. And it's both about their marriage, you know, because they were like these celebrities in France, especially in the 70s and 80s. It's about their marriage and their fascination and love for volcanoes because volcanology is still a pretty young, you know, relatively untapped uh, profession, I suppose. So they were really on the cutting edge and kind of having breakthroughs all the time just by the very nature of it not being kind of being an unexplored uh, discipline, I suppose. But it's very, very good. The um, writing is fantastic with narration by the filmmaker. Can't recommend it enough. It's it's fantastic. Yeah, I'm adding that to my uh, watch list now. This, this sounds great. I love... Uh, ooh, and it seems like maybe it goes into kind of sad direction. <laughs> It's based off of yeah, the yeah, <laughs> yeah. It it does for sure, and it is a gut punch. Let me tell you. But it um, it it kind of reminded me, you know, in a world where Netflix comes out with like fifteen documentaries a week, it feels like, yeah. and like that's a real fuel for the engine of streaming services. When I was watching it, it reminded me about like, oh yeah, this is what a really great one is, you know, in in a sea of just like some of them 
bordering down to like YouTube-esque infotainment about like this is what happened and this is what happened. Like there's authorship to it. It's perspective. It's style. It's it's fantastic. Highly recommend it. Oh man, yeah, I got to see that. Yeah, a lot of documentaries. I think to kind of boil it down, a lot of them are just like a Wikipedia entry with yeah. people like basically narrating it. It seems like this has a lot of like footage. Um, oh yeah, it's it's a, it's incredible. Highly recommend it. Fuck. All right, I'm watching it. You sold me. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> What's next? Oh yeah, so uh, you know these two lived a very dangerous life, and I think everyone on my number six movie so far this year live a dangerous life in jackass forever uh, yeah this is a uh, another movie I, you know i got to see this in theaters it was like sold out on the i think it was the thursday or friday night and it was at alamo draft house so it's kind of like a lower uh ceiling like it's kind of like a, a smaller room and the laughs were just like just did not stop it just felt like we were all just like being heated by each other's like enjoyment. And it was just such a, like a singular kind of um, situation where I, I can't think of, you know, many other movies besides, you know, like the first like Borat or these type of movies where it's like, you're going to laugh in a way that really emulates, you know, being at a sleepover in the seventh grade and you guys are all up way too late. You're playing GoldenEye, you know, you've had too much Mountain Dew and you're just like laughing about the stupidest thing. That's what this entire movie is, and I just really, really enjoyed that. Great call. It's incredible. And I just, um, and that's on my list, too. That was my unofficial, like, basically, like, number three or four. So, completely agreed. And also, you know, as a supplemental aspect, the Jackass four and a half, uh, four and a half? Yeah, four and a half on Netflix. It's worth watching. It's pretty delightful as as a, again, a supplemental element to it. there There's a few gags in there that could have easily been in the movie. So I recommend that on Netflix. Yeah, great call. I love that movie. I love them all. They're so great. <laughs> yeah. They're so great. It just taps into something like I, it's the best. Hard, some of the hardest I've ever laughed are jackass movies. They're the best. Um, all right. Uh, here's my, I guess, one, two, three, four, five. I guess five. Uh, the Northman the Robert Eggers movie, which admittedly hasn't really stuck with me quite as much as I anticipated. But in terms of just the feels, I was delighted by it. I had so much fun and I was so into it. I love Robert Eggers' films, having previously made The Witch and The Lighthouse. It, it just completely did for me. I, I wonders really work on me, especially when they're done in a non- you know, like, we're hey, we're doing a wonder kind of showy way when it seems to, like, have been a, a reasonable choice. And to me, it worked really well. And, you know, it, it's an imperfect movie, but whatever. I loved it. I, I thought it was so well shot. Big fan. Yeah, I, I love The Northman. Uh, I, th- I was trying to kind of understand how this fit into Robert Ager's other, other movies. And I realized that after the protagonist uh, when he kind of goes into to slavery the movie takes place in one location and i was like oh that's the witch that's the lighthouse because before then it's kind of like flowing through time and it's like you know where are we once we get stuck in that one place i was like oh this is this is a horror movie and i think normally in horror movies we are following 
the uh, you know Nicole Kidman and you know the the other guy, their relationship, and you know there's mysterious things happening at night. Uh, you know, whatever this this monster or this you know slasher type of thing, and what mm-hmm. makes this movie kind of interesting is I don't know if this is intentional, but it's almost like a deconstruction of that type of genre where we're actually seeing those events through the eyes of the monster. Yeah, that's a great call. Uh, we get to see you know him do these things at night where normally you know we're hearing the sounds outside. You know, we see the, the effects the next day. We're seeing it happening, and we're also understanding what's going on through his perspective of why he's doing things and also like you know great revenge films i think all the great ones even though this whole movie is built on revenge by the end of the movie there's a lot of questions of like well what is you know is revenge actually good you know the cycle of violence uh you know like the great war movies they all end up being anti-war i think the great revenge films are all anti-revenge i i absolutely loved uh the northman and it really bums me out how poorly <laughs> this movie did at the box office, but hopefully it'll win some awards at the end of the year and more people will see it. And then uh, Robert Eggers won't be written off as the guy who we can't give money to. <laughs> yeah. No, to your point, like I bought it on Amazon cause I was like, I want to give you money to, you know, little though it might be to help buoy this to some extent, because granted he lost his lead actors twice, I believe, for that Nosferatu movie he was going to make, but it's, and I, and I do think there might be a little bit of a, a Mobius, Morbius effect, Morbius effect in terms of, uh, oh, well, we don't want to pay you, pay 50, $60 million after you just did your thing. And then that wasn't proven in the Northman. So that's a bummer. Granted, I think losing Harry Styles as your lead, which is like maybe one of the most bank- bankable humans on the planet probably didn't help that at all. Uh, but that was a bummer. And to your point about seeing it through the perspective of the monster, yeah, honestly, it made me think like, man, I would watch a movie from the from the POV of Black Phillip from The Witch any oh my day. God, yes, God, <laughs> I even just thinking about it, I'm like, give me that movie now. Uh, yeah, Northman, love it so much. Uh, what's next on your list? My number five is the. I, I hope I'm pronouncing his name correctly. Uh, Koganada. It's his movie after Yang. Yes, and this movie was just so strange like it is a science fiction uh movie but it's so like meditative and the whole like execution of the ideas in this like it's kind of like i guess the the log line is there's like an ai like an android who passes away and it's like them kind of commemorating his life and going through his memories it's able to do so much stuff like in a way that a movie like ex machina that's purely about uh, AI. Well, I guess there's other themes as well, but this movie to me goes so much more in depth and the ideas that it does, it's not just, look, you know, we've seen Westworld, you know, yes. Can you fuck a robot? Okay. That's a, I guess a good (laughs) question, but I think this one goes into much like deeper uh, areas and also uh, Koganata. Like I I didn't love his last uh, movie. Uh, Was it Columbus? Columbus, yeah. I didn't love that one, but his film essays are like brilliant. And I think this movie, he was kind of able to really access that because when we see this character's memories, we're really seeing uh, Koganata like flex his like cinematic, uh, his taste, his uh, his history and his craft by basically these are all like little short movies. (laughs) 
yeah his memories i just really really love this movie and i i don't really know how to recommend it because i'm sure a lot of people would think it was boring but i just really really uh loved it i you know the only reason it's not on my list because admittedly i made my list via <laughs> via watch li- uh via uh, uh letterboxd and just filtered it and i forgot that after yang is considered a 2021 movie otherwise honestly it'd be my number one movie of the year so there we go okay i, I, I mean yeah it's unbelievable. I really think I saw that at as part of Sundance. It was really the the impetus for me doing the Sundance experience was both that and Riley Stearns' duel to see those two. I I, I think I think it's unbelievable. And it was almost weirdly a bummer to see that it was both released in March because a part of me was like, God, I really you know, in a perfect world I feel like this would be up for best picture or something, or have more acclaim than maybe a March release would give it. But then also just to see that it was very unceremoniously put on Showtime. I was like, man, it feels like it deserves more than that. Because I was like, what am I missing? I think it's amazing. I, I absolutely love that movie. Yeah, I mean, this is also, I guess, just the importance of word of, word of mouth and all this kind of stuff. Because if I saw this on Showtime and I read the description, I probably would never watch it. That, that is a very strange fit. It feels like it should be on, like you know, Criterion or, or something like that. but Or movie, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, movie would be a, a great fit, especially with, like, I feel like Koganada, like, he did stuff for movie at one point. I, I don't know. I forget which. There's some service that uh, hosted his video essays. But, yeah, he's just really, really thoughtful, and it just seems like so much care is put into, like, every scene in this movie. It also just, there's, like, one of the biggest cliches of all AI related things, even to the point where uh, my wife has been watching Star Trek next generation that they kind of like nod that uh, data data. <laughs> I want to say data uh, <laughs> data. It's like, Oh, he just wants to be human. There's a moment in this movie where they kind of bring that up like, Oh, like as an AI, like, do you want to be human? And I don't, I don't want to ruin what happens, but the way that they kind of deal with it in the moment, I was like, Oh my God, I've never even thought about that perspective on it. And it's just really well done. And I, I hope more people see it and it can make a bigger splash. I completely agree. Yeah, it's a very humanist, beautiful, like deeply empathetic and self assured movie. It's even now, like the sense memories coming back from having watched it. I'm just, God, it's so good. It's so good. Like, I'm so endlessly impressed by it and by him by extension. Um, Okay, uh, my number whatever at this point is uh, a comedy special. Uh, It's Gerard Carmichael's Rothaniel. And it's, you know, it's directed by Bo Burnham. It really quite literally is uh, Gerard going. It opens with him walking in, in the snowy New York, walking to the small club. And then it ends with him walking out very unceremoniously. And the actual everything in between, which is the special itself, without really going into detail, is... I don't, man, it's it's one of the best specials I've seen in years. And I remember turning it on like at 11.30 at night just to get a sense of it. Because I saw per- people within the first week of it being out raving about it. And just to an extreme degree. And then I watched it. and And I was mesmerized. Truly mesmerized. And delighted, and I was even thinking about as I was watching it, rewatching it immediately. It 
it's just very powerful. I think he's one of the best of what he does. And and I it's on HBO Max. I highly recommend it. I haven't seen that, but I did watch the movie that he directed on the count of three. Yeah. And I'm assuming there's a uh, a Venn diagram, like big old set, a hole in the center with the, the style of humor between the two. And yeah. yeah, I mean, I know he hosted SNL too. It seems like he's been doing a lot of things. And, you know, for, for people that are uh, fans of his, it seems like a, a great time. It you know uh, I will say real quick real quick real quick that when I saw some of his previous specials, it was like both it was very impressive like oh that's what a stand up comedian is but I never laughed once it was which not that you have to do that but that's what I associate with with stand up comedy generally is and I guess whether that is a successful that's kind of my metric for success in one of these um, which may not be fair but. Either way, I there are some funny things, but it's just enthralling, and I think Bo Burnham is a very, very talented guy, and I think he directed the hell out of it. So, there you go. Rothaniel, highly recommend it. Hell yeah. <laughs> All right, what do you got? Oh, my number four uh, movie so far this year, and, and I think starting with four, like I think these are all going to be uh, up there at the end of the year, uh, is... Joseph Kaczynski's Top Gun Maverick. I know you haven't seen it yet. I yeah. was able to see it a couple days ago in IMAX, and I fucking loved this movie so much. <laughs> I had such a good time watching it, and I guess I need to add the caveat that I am not a fan of the original Top Gun, so this is coming from someone who maybe isn't big into that and the nostalgia of that movie. Uh, this movie just really, really blew me away. Uh, not just in terms of the aerial sequences, which are just so well done. It's just like, ugh, you're just sitting in IMAX and you're like, this is why I go to the movies. But in addition to that, I think Joseph Kaczynski, uh, with his other film in mind, Only the Brave, a uh, film from 2017, which kind of seems underwatched, but I think lately there's been a lot of people kind of talking about how great it was. Both of these movies are very uh, built on I don't, I don't know if it's masculinity because it's it's not necessarily gendered, but there's like this really big like intensity, action, adrenaline type of thing. And I think he's able to kind of add uh, emotions and stakes in these moments that might be cheesy in a movie. He's able to kind of just fit them in there and make it work. And both of these movies made me cry, uh, only the brave, <laughs> a lot more, uh, you know. Because of this I like that movie a lot. I watched it last year. It's oh, good. God, the, it's geez, good. The crescendo at the end of everything—it's just yeah. kind of destroyed me. Uh, but yeah, and I think other people have been pointing this out about Top Gun Maverick. But you can also watch this whole movie as you know this pilot who's trying to deal with getting replaced with drones and kind of becoming obsolete as Tom Cruise being you know the last action hero and kind of him trying to maneuver being relevant and trying to keep cinema not just a green screen. I want to, yeah, I'm very excited for that particular aspect because it's so resonant, especially for Tom Cruise in general, but let alone Tom Cruise during the pandemic as a guy who has been filming two Mission Impossible movies for the last quite literally two plus years now and has been shut down 10 times, quite, again, seriously, 10 times during the pandemic, according to that Hollywood Reporter uh, article that's 
extraordinary. Highly recommend reading that. Um, yeah, I'm going to see it tomorrow. My dad and I are going to see it. Couldn't be more excited. Oh, my God. Perfect movie to, to see with uh, someone's father. Like, it's such a dad <laughs> movie. Yeah. Also, uh, you know, The Color of Money, that whole movie, it's, it's hard to not watch it as, you know, Paul Newman kind of passing the torch off to Tom Cruise as, like, the future of being a movie star and all this kind of stuff. And it seems like this movie now, Tom Cruise, is like Paul Newman in Color of Money kind of passing the torch. I don't know if it's two miles teller or just to the next generation of actors. But I think, uh, you know, as much as people maybe like Top Gun, I think the better movie to watch before Top Gun Maverick is actually The Color of Money. Okay, and I'll do that just because I want to rewatch that movie because I, <laughs> I love that movie. And and honestly, to your point about like whether you, it's two Miles Teller specifically or not, if anything from that movie, I would bet it feels more reasonable to pass it to Glenn Powell, a guy who came in second for the role that Miles Teller got and then was so good, got a, a role of some size, I don't know yet, in that movie. I think that dude's a movie star, so I'm excited to watch that. Yeah, uh, I'm sure, that, you know, you're going to... Oh, okay, so Glenn Powell. Yeah, he was really really good in it i had to look up his uh yeah he was in every things. everybody wants some and that dude just has it you know and he's gonna be in a lot of stuff pretty soon i think yeah i also love everybody wants some a movie that my wife hated and we kind of like really disagreed <laughs> about but yeah I, I love that movie i do too uh what okay jackass forever next on my list said everything we could at this point what's next on your list uh, number three for 2022, The Northman. We already talked about it, loved it, and yeah, I, I really think this is going to be a movie at the end of the year that I'm going to be still talking about. Yeah, I'm going to rewatch it here soon because I, I want to feel that feeling again. And also, I feel like there's so much to unpack still. Couldn't agree more. I, I love that movie so much. Somehow, I've got two on my list still only left. You've got three. Okay. Oh, no, no. Northman was my number three, so. Number three. Okay, so you got two more. Okay. Uh, My number two, then, is uh, Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. It's pretty great. (laughs) Pretty great, you know? Um, And I found it very overwhelming, so I need to see it again because I was both blown away by it on every conceivable level, but also it, it reminded me of, like, seeing the hobbit in 48 frames per second like my brain (laughs) couldn't process it all in real time so i felt like i was like playing from behind so i need to see it having a better understanding of just the degree by which it is going to be delightfully fucking bad shit i but i know it's extraordinary truly and i don't know how they thought it up let alone executed it it's i can't even wrap my head around it truly quite literally but also i can't wrap my head around it it's amazing it the hype is somehow real if not inaccurate it's beyond that to me it was it, it's an what can you say it's extraordinary yeah i love this movie i wasn't really a big fan of the director's uh previous movies for Army man so that might have like lowered lowered my expectations and i got to see this i think like opening night on the thursday oh wow. uh, yeah i was just completely floored by this movie i mean it is essentially i know people keep bringing up turning red as like a comparison with pixar but 
this is just a, a Pixar movie for adults. Like it's not just turning red. The emotional beats that I think all the Pixar movies do, yeah. this does them like probably almost at the same time in the movies. And I don't say that as a criticism because I, I love this this movie. Uh, that's kind of my one issue with the Pixar movies sometimes as much as I love them. They still f- do feel like kids' movies. So I really like that this was able to kind of have all those like emotional beats and stuff and it feel like, oh, this isn't a movie that they're like kind of trying to, you know, not touch on some of the subject matter because this really doesn't pull any punches. Uh, someone I know was like, oh, the humor and stuff. They're like, it's so corny and, you know, it's so cheesy and blah, blah. And I'm like, I love cheesy, corny shit. That's why I go to the movies because I want to like experience emotions. Emotions yeah. by nature are corny. Like that's yeah. kind of how they are. So if you don't want something that's corny, uh, yeah, then maybe you like movies that don't really like touch on these aspects of life but that's life is very corny sorry (laughs) no shit it reminds me of like the twitter thing about where somebody's like not to be sincere and i'm like it's okay to be that you know like it's all right it's really fine and honestly it 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 that movie just played me like a fiddle it 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 did everything it was amazing i yeah it's yeah it's amazing i love i love michelle yo like she has just been a movie star in Hong Kong, like ever since she first started, uh, I, I think it might've been yes. Madam was like one of her bigger uh, roles, but she's just such a fucking rock star. And, you know, stateside, you know, we've seen her in, I believe it was tomorrow never dies, you know, mm-hmm. crouching tiger, hidden dragon. And now with uh, Shang Chi, she's popped up and stuff, but in these movies, she's not the true lead. So it was so awesome to see her in this, just completely, you know, hold on to the, you know, sit in the, sit in the throne, hold the helm and just weigh it down in a way that I think a lot of people who maybe weren't familiar with her are like, Oh, I need to kind of check out more of her stuff. She's just an absolute cinematic legend. And, uh, I think this is a film in, and not just for English speakers, uh, even though she's done so many movies over there, I think this is a film she said she's been waiting her whole life to do. So, all, you know, all power to her. I love Which makes me so happy for her. Like, truly. Just delighted for her. And, yeah. I mean, what more can you say about that? I, I certainly don't have the intellect to be able to phrase it properly, but it's incredible. Funny thing is, I think our number ones are the same. I will bet money. Well, actually, I they can't be because oh. <laughs> everything everywhere all at once is my number one, but maybe oh, okay. my number two is your number one. <laughs> Okay, then there we go. Uh, and I I am going to rewatch this movie uh, tomorrow night, so maybe it will raise up and be my number one. I'm, I'm going to guess that it's it's the same. Uh, but yeah. Yeah, are, are you prompting me to reveal my number two right now? <laughs> is your number two RRR? Yes, uh, my number two movie of the year is S.S. Rajamuli's RRR. I fucking love this movie, and this is the movie that... I have been talking about so much. My coworkers either have seen it or they're just fucking sick of me and they don't want me to talk about it. Uh, yeah. SS Rajamuli. Since I've seen this, I've seen his uh, Bahu Bali movies. I've seen Iga. I've kind of been going and, and checking out his other stuff. This guy is, I, I, he's one of the greatest big ty- type of like 
set piece over the top action directors i truthfully think that this movie is going to change the trajectory of action films in the same way in 1992 with john woo with hard-boiled with 2010 2011 with the raid uh is the raid redemption with with these two movies i really think the trajectory of action films was changed i think this movie is going to change the way action movies the larger ones the way that they are made once more and more people see this movie i agree and you know as opposed to the the michael bay drone factor honestly i welcome it because it, it can't be understated how incredible and truly just invigorating and delightful these set pieces of which there are many in a in this three hour and five minute runtime and also when it's not that it's a it's a sincere bromance i love you i love you movie set against a a an a historical epic film it, it it can't you can't uh like properly describe the vibes of this movie until you experience it and you're immediately hooked in it's so good yeah and, and i know it's uh on netflix but if anyone has the ability to see this in theaters which by the way <laughs> uh tomorrow night i've gotten a group of i think somewhere between 30 and 40 people and Amazing. i'm hoping it'll actually be more than 40 where i've basically talked everyone into going to see this movie <laughs> we have like three rows like completely filled and i need to spend the rest of tonight like and tomorrow trying to get and rally more people to see this because to see this movie, I know I mentioned X, like, you know, it's fun to see, you know, a horror movie with people. This movie, it is the the way to properly appreciate this movie is with the applause breaks. I saw footage in India of people reacting to the trailer release of this a couple years ago. And that footage, people standing up, whistling. It looks like confetti is being thrown up. It is Holy the shit. wildest reaction I've ever seen. So uh, one of my friends was like, oh, you know, I know we have a bunch of people going this. Hopefully, you know, maybe people that are, you know, from India or, you know, who you know, speak Telugu, you know, whatever. Like, I hope we're not like offending them with our reaction to this. And I was like, no, like the way that culturally these type of movies are received is with the loudest reaction. I mean, obviously not talking over parts and, and being rude, but this movie lends itself to the type of person who when someone's like why do people clap during movies the type of person is like because it's fun to do if you're that person who likes clapping because it doesn't matter if the filmmakers hear you it's more about clapping feels good this is a movie that you need to see with everybody 100 <laughs> percent uh i i'm jealous because it's not playing here in the theater so i had to watch it via netflix which i'm just glad i i was able to period but that is one where God, I would I would revel in it, that theater experience. And I really wish that would have been my introduction to the movie. But, you know, it is what it is. And it's still the best cinematic experience I've had, you know, outside of uh, After Yang, honestly, in terms of just the feels. That, that did it. Pretty great. <laughs> Pretty great. And if, you know, if anyone listening is like, what what is this movie about? My, like, little log line is that it's 1920s India... It's during the period where the UK, or I guess Great Britain, was colonizing India. And there were two real-life revolutionaries. And the movie's kind of like, 
okay, what if these two guys became friends and decided to slaughter the British colonizers? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and what if there's so much more happening than just that simple log line? Oh yeah. I mean, it's God, it's, it's just everything. And, and it's done with seemingly so like so much earnestness and enjoy that it's infectious in and of itself, let alone how inventive and truly just badass the sequences are. Like, just watch that movie, please. It's so good. Yeah, I. If if anyone listening, if you if you love over the top, th- this movie is is it. And I think kind of also like. Uh, hard-boiled and um, with uh, the raid. I think this movie also, at least for me, is kind of opening my eyes to Tollywood films and kind of opening the store of, oh, I need to check out more of this stuff, maybe in the same way with, I, I believe, Hong, well, Hong Kong with John Woo and then the redemption with like Indonesian movies and kind of all of you know th- these guys and just the intensity of... Their, their action sequences. I think this, yeah, this movie is really, I cannot wait to see more of these Hollywood movies. I've, I've only seen four now and the door is open for me. Yeah. <laughs> I need mean, it. It kicked the door open for me and I didn't even know the door was there really. Like I knew it was there obviously intellectually, but I just slept on it and I, I have a lot of work to do and I'm very excited to do that work. So yeah, I'm yeah. with you there. RRR. <laughs> <laughs> is this, is this your list then? Yeah, now my number we... one is Everything Everywhere All at Once, okay. which I don't know. Maybe these movies will switch around uh, after I see this tomorrow night. <laughs> we'll see. Uh, yeah, I think um, at the very least in terms of whether it's RRR or Everything Everywhere All at Once, that's a hell of a conundrum to have because I think that either of those movies would probably be my number one in most any other year. You know, for the, I mean, not entirely, but probably more often than not. Honestly, because they're both pretty fantastic. Yeah, and I mean, if Mission Impossible 7 was coming out this year, I might say, I don't know if RRR is going to be the greatest or like the great action movie of 2022, but that's not coming out till next year. So I'm pretty confident in no other movie kind of upping RRR in terms of just adrenaline-packed, over-the-top action with set pieces that, like like you said, even though they start off early on, uh, SS Rajamuli has such a good understanding of heightening. Uh, as someone who comes from the comedy world, you understand the importance of, of heightening because otherwise a joke plateaus. People aren't laughing because they're like, we get it. You're just be- beginning to repeat yourself. This movie with the set pieces and you know everything, the stakes, everything just keeps getting bigger and bigger. So even though the film is a little over three hours and it really it feels like it's crescendoing with that first scene. <laughs> when Ram Shran is like chasing the guy during that big uh, kind of like riot, whatever protest, the movie just keeps getting bigger and bigger and more yeah. outrageous that there is no crescendo. Like it just, it just never ends. God. In, in the best, yeah. In the truly best way possible. Um, you know, honestly in, in going through this list now, that's a, that's a damn good start to the year. I think that's a hell of a first half definitely stronger than they tend to be. And and maybe that's part of, uh, you know, the, the results are just delays because of COVID and 
created a bottleneck and now we're reaping the cinematic benefits in that regard. I don't know, but it's been a strong start, I think. Yeah, usually there's like one or two movies. Like I remember Get Out was released, I think, in late February, early March. Like Mm -hmm. sometimes uh, you'll have a movie that gets released and it's like, oh, there's that one. But yeah, there's a lot here that I think will be still talked about at the end of the year and movies that I am so happy I saw, (laughs) which, as you said, is atypical for. And this is we're not even at the end of June, which I guess is the first half. This is the first five months. Yeah, fair enough. And. And, you know, right on deck is the new Cronenberg, which, whew, boy, oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> I was, oh, exactly. Whew, ready, ready, ready. I'm ready for that. Um, but, yeah, dude, thank you for your time. This has been a delight. Like, so fun. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, thanks for having me, uh, Brandon. And, I mean, we could have talked about movies. I mean, I can talk about movies forever. Uh, sorry if I didn't put enough of myself uh, into this. but No, no I just great. I love talking about movies, and I, the only thing I love more than talking about movies is watching them. <laughs> agreed, agreed. And uh, depending on the movie, sometimes I like talking about them while watching them too. So it's a real twofer for me. Exactly. But yeah, no, this is so easy. It was so fun. And uh, what all do you want to point people toward? I know you have your podcast that we talked about or mentioned. Um, yeah, what all do you want to point people toward before we wrap her up? Yeah, I check out my podcast. Uh, so you did a thing, and actually, the the next episode, I, I interviewed Dan Greger, who co-wrote the new Chip and Dale movie, which nice. didn't make my top ten, but I really, really liked it a lot, and I think it's going to be a benchmark for what you know reboot whatever these movies can be. Uh, but yeah, it's mostly uh, musicians I've had on it, uh, guys like Pat Flynn from Fiddlehead, you know Ross Farr from Ceremony. I just had Ben Cook from young gov and no warning it's in the music realm but uh you know sometimes i kind of mix it up and i am at zed cut singer on all socials including letterboxd which seems to be the preferred uh social for movie talk <laughs> yeah and to your point you also yeah you had also comedy people like carl tart and joe saunders two previous guests on this show even and it's a great show i really enjoy it yeah carl tart like one of the funniest people alive i, I am so happy he had me or not that he had me, that he allowed me <laughs> to have him on my podcast and that uh, Grand Crew, after we did our uh, episode, got announced a, a second season. So all congrats to Carl. And yeah, he's the best. And Joe also. I love Joe. Not to Joe's great. Yeah, no. Uh, but to your point about Carl, uh, such a funny, nice guy, so smart and such a great, talented performer and actor. And yeah, Grand Crew was great. Highly recommend it. Watch it on uh, Peacock. Very good. And I think it's, it might be on Hulu, too. I'm not sure. Anyway, it's it's out there. Watch that. Season two is coming up. I'm very excited about that. And as I go in for the landing and switch my tone a little bit, thank you all for listening. Thank you again for doing this, Zed. And, um, you know, everybody stay safe. Take care. Leave with empathy. It's okay to not be okay. And, uh, yeah, thank you again for listening. Be well. Goodbye. Goodbye.